0: To commit things in our life to God. And some things are going to take a little more effort than others, uh going to be a little more challenging, take a little more discipline and and habits to build. But for the sake of of committing these things and aspects of our life to him, that we might glorify him and lift him up and bring him praise in this world and, and that we might see him acting in our life and learning to trust him in new and in, in different ways we never knew we, we could we could do or even think possible. Um, This morning, we we turn our attention to commit to prayer. And uh, you can see the passage we're going to be in this morning. We'll be in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 5. And what we're going to be doing this morning is to seek to understand Jesus' teaching on prayer. And and as I was preparing um, this week and and even just this morning, um, just being in awe of this incredible gift we have for prayer. And, And I think sometimes we can do it so nonchalantly Uh, we bow our heads and close our eyes we I know we do it at dinner table I pray for my kids before they go to bed and um, but just this incredible gift God has given us in prayer and so we're going to be spending looking at what Jesus teaches us and and hopefully just to be in all of this gift and so we don't just rush into prayer but to see this incredible thing we have and this ability we have Um, So make your way to Matthew chapter 6 we're going to begin in verse 5 and the 1990s, there was a secular and Christian push for prayer. Some of y'all may remember because you're around my age. In 1990, uh, the uh, <laughs> gospel preacher MC Hammer right uh, put out his 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 uh, hit "We've Got to Pray." You know it, John. You want to wrap it up? Can you do the dance? <laughs> ah, I'm sure those boots would work. Yeah we got to pray just to make it today. I say we pray. I know that's not as MC Hammer-ish, but that's the gist of it. Maybe you did not have the secular backing that I kind of had and and fell into in the 90s. And so you waited till 1996 when Stephen Curtis Chapman released his uh, single, Let Us Pray. Let us pray everywhere and in every way. And if you're not familiar with that, it's a good song. But the point is, we understand that prayer is important. So it's kind of funny for me to have a thing where we say we're going to commit to prayer because i believe all of us pray in some way or another uh, we've prayed at least twice this morning together right through jason and jackson leading us uh, timothy keller who is a christian author and retired pastor says that prayer is one of the most common phenomena of the human life even deliberately non-religious people pray at times And a one 2004 study found that nearly 30 percent of atheists, that's people who say they do not believe there's a God. 30% of atheists admitted they prayed sometimes. And another found that 17% of non-believers pray regularly. Now, I, I'm sure we've all prayed at some point in time this week. Anybody want to say I've prayed at least once this week? I think I saw every hand go up. That's good. Alright, so we, we at least we take the, the action of praying. Your prayer is something that I found in my own life and I've learned in my time in ministry that believers are at times afraid to do in public. Um, It's one of those things I've learned to ask somebody before I ask them to pray in public. Hey, do you mind if you pray and close this out? There's something about it that makes some believers uh, uneasy. It's one of those things that believers, all believers at times struggle. Does God actually hear my prayer? And we also wrestle with the idea of maybe not seeing prayers being answered the way we think they should have been answered or, or how we think it should play out. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, modeled prayer in his ministry. He took the time to break away from his busy schedule to commune with the Father. It fascinated his disciples so much that if you look in Luke chapter 11, in Luke chapter 11, it is the one thing the disciples asked Jesus. For him to teach them, they said, Teach us to pray. They saw something in his life and in his prayer life that was different from what they had taught, what they had been taught, what they had seen. And so we, we did the blessing of having God's word and what Jesus actually taught on praying. And we're going to try to draw out these principles so we can apply it to our prayer life this week. We're going to be in Matthew chapter chapter 6. It's part of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, which runs from Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7. But let's read God's Word, and then we'll walk through it together. Beginning in verse 5, it says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and eat at at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I'm sure many of us would say that we're familiar with this passage of Scripture, most likely familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Just a side note, Jesus never titled this prayer as the Lord's Prayer. That was put in there. He did not stop and say, All right, let me teach you the Lord's Prayer. But what Jesus does teach us is that we get to speak to a God who is listening. We need to approach a holy God who wants to listen and have a relationship with us. And Jesus, in this passage, points out two negatives and two positives. In verse 5, He says, you must not be like the hypocrites. In verse 7, He says, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. The word hypocrite in verse 5 means actor, or one who would play a part. The, The title of a Gentile typically refers to in Scripture as those who do not know God. Or do not believe in God. And Jesus delivers two positive statements as well. He says, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father in verse 6. And then he tells us in verse 9, pray then like this. I just bring that up because if you are here this morning and you have ever struggled with prayer, know that you're not alone. Jesus would not have had to teach on prayer if people did not struggle with at times babbling or rambling on in their prayers. If, if they didn't struggle with trying to act out a holy prayer before others, if we weren't tempted to do that, Jesus would not have had to bring this up. But what Jesus teaches us in prayer is that prayer is both a conversation and an encounter with God. And so there's only three things I want us to see this morning in our passage. The first can be found in verses 5-6, through six, and that is that prayer is intimate. Jesus, most likely, when He first to the hypocrites and those who stand and pray in the synagogues, is speaking of religious leaders who do all the religious things so that other people can see them and be in awe of how religious they truly are. But when He comes to prayer, He says prayer is an action to do, not an act to play out. In prayer, we have direct connection to the God of the universe. Just think about that for a second on how nonchalantly we can go into prayer times. We are directly tied to the creator of all things, to the savior of the world and the Holy Spirit who indwells in all the believers. We have a direct line of communication to the God who governs all things through prayer. The Bible says that, but now that you have come to know God or rather be known by God, In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says that we have been fully known by God. When we go into the act of prayer, we are going to connect, communicate, and indulge in our relationship with the God who loves us. It's a means to find reassurance that in prayer we have the most intimate and unbreakable relationship with God. Jesus captures this when He says, pray then like this in verse 9. He says, our Father who is in heaven. It's an important aspect of prayer that we learn in Jesus' teaching that we can only pray the way the Bible teaches if we are God's children. I can only call God my Father if I've been covered by the blood of the Lamb. I can only pray in the way that Jesus teaches and the Bible teaches us in Scripture if I am saved. Does that mean that God doesn't hear the prayers of unbelievers? No. God hears and knows all things, but as a believer... We have access to a God that an unbeliever does not. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 that let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. As God's children, we cry out to a loving Heavenly Father in prayer, and we know He listens and He hears because we are covered by the blood of His Son in our Lamb. We are covered by Jesus' righteousness. We have been adopted by God as His children and claimed as His own. And so when we pray, we are given a testimony of our adoption. We are stating to God that I belong to you and you belong to me. J.I. Packer writes that the Father is always accessible to His children. He is never too preoccupied to what they have to say. This is the basis of Christian prayer. He goes on to say, When you realize that God has taken you from the gutter and made you a son or daughter in His own house, you a miraculously pardoned offender, guilty, ungrateful, defiant, perverse as you were, then your sense of God's love beyond degree is more than words can express. You know, over the past three, a little over three years, you know, the Hurston family has gotten to know the Harvest Hill family a little bit better more and more every single week, almost every single activity that we have and uh, i've gotten to know some of y'all very well and i'll admit there's some of you i don't know as well as others and that just comes down to the time we spent and the conversations we've had and and the activities we've been in, involved with one another but as i was thinking about prayers intimate and thinking about this relationship we have with god and maybe we're to think our relationship with one another and no matter how much time we spend together no matter how much many activities we do with one another and jokes we have or inside jokes we have, here's one thing that, that I came to realize. There is not a person in this room who will know me better than my wife and kids. Because they have access to me that you all will never have. They sleep in the same house under the same roof. They know things about me that you all may hear about but you'll never understand. I have conversations with them that I will never have with you. And we have times and memories we share together that we won't share together as a church family. And it's not that I don't love you and it's not that I don't know that you love me. It's because I am a husband and I'm a father. And so they have access to me that you will never have and, 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 I, and I will never have with you. When it comes to prayer, prayer gives us that intimate access to God as our father. To know Him in ways this world will never know Him. To be able to understand and hear His voice in ways unbelievers will never understand or hear. To be able to feel His presence in ways people who aren't belonging to Him will never feel in their life. Prayer gives us intimacy with God, but it also gives us intimacy with each other. Notice the pronouns Jesus used when He teaches on prayer. He says, our Father, He says, that give us and lead us and deliver us. So prayer doesn't just create intimacy with God, but prayer is meant to create intimacy with our brothers and sisters in Christ, our eternal family. The Bible gives us this promise in Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Prayer displays our affection to God, but it also is meant to display our affection for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus teaches that through prayer we are to share our lives with one another. We are to share our needs. We are to share our burdens and our struggles and our temptations and our battles. And this is part of our commitment to pray that I'm going to be intimate with God, but I'm also going to be intimate with my brothers and sisters in Christ. The second thing that Jesus teaches about prayer can be found in verses 7 and 8, and that is that prayer is intentional. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. That, that phrase, empty phrases, can also mean babbles or meaningless words. It's to give us the image of a seance. It reminds me of the story that comes out of 1 Kings chapter 18, when the prophet Elijah took on the prophets of Baal, and at times ridiculing them, as they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. To which Elijah told them, and I love this, cry aloud, For he is a God, either he's musing or he's relieving himself or he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep and needs to be awakened. And so that's exactly what the prophets of Baal did. They began crying louder and cutting themselves. And a very sad statement is made in verse 29 in 1 Kings. It says, no one answered and no one paid attention. When it comes to prayer, we don't have to live in a fear that we are praying to a God who will not answer or does not pay attention to us. We do not pray to a make-believe God or a God who is too busy. We do not pray to a God who is on a restroom break. The Bible says that we accept, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we become adopted, we become children of God. And so we pray to a God who listens and hears so we don't have to babble on and say the same thing. For Jesus said, for God knows what you need before you ask Him. Which always makes me question, then why should I pray? If God knows what I need before asking, why should I even pray? Because prayer is about intentional intimacy with the God of love. Jesus is telling us this, when we pray, we don't have to be worried about a bad connection. We don't have to be worried about being in a no-signal area. If you read through the Bible, you see that David, he prayed in a cave. Daniel prayed in captivity. Jonah prayed on a boat in the middle of a storm while he ran away from God. Job prayed while he was complaining about God. Elijah prayed while he was in hiding. Peter prayed while he was in prison. Paul prayed while he was on a deserted island. And Jesus prayed while he was on the cross. We can pray to God anywhere and about anything and not have to fear that he does not hear us. So we better pray again. We pray intentionally because we know God. We pray because we know God is present, and when we pray, it makes us present with Him. We pray because we know God is all-knowing, and when we pray, God grants us some of His wisdom. We pray knowing that God has, we have God's attention, and when we pray, we give God our attention. We know Him, and we reveal that we know Him through His Word. So we don't have to go before God and say, God, oh, please, 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 please. Though I understand there's times in my life I've been on my knees in tears and begging God to do something, so I understand those prayers happen. But prayer is also not a thing where we're picking up a lamp and rubbing it as fast as we can, hoping a genie will pop out. Instead, we pray with confidence like the psalmist. It says, O oh Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you, or I direct my prayer to you, and I watch and wait expectantly. When we pray, do we pray knowing that we're getting to have an intimate moment with the God who loves us and knows us? When we pray, do we go before God with a goal that we want to see something accomplished through our prayers? What are your intentions when you pray? Sometimes I must confess, sometimes I pray because it's just that time. We have to pray before we eat. and We pray before we go to bed. Some of our students may pray before they take a test. But what are our intentions? I did a direct connection with God, and I have His ear. The final thing we learn is from the Lord's Prayer section, beginning in verse 9, and that prayer is interdependent. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Prayer is interdependent. That means when I pray, I am stating I am completely reliant upon God. Notice when Jesus teaches us to pray, He isn't giving us a script or something to do verbatim. He says, pray then like this. And I understand that some people pray this prayer and believe this is the only prayer to be prayed. And that's fine. I think it's important that we do pray this prayer at times. But if you read through the Gospels, if you read through the book of Acts, if you read through the letters, you see that there are prayers lifted up, and it isn't word for word this prayer. When Jesus prayed in the garden, He did not pray this prayer word for word. And so it gives us an outline to follow. And it begins by understanding that prayer is to be completely reliant upon God. When I go to pray, I am committing in that moment my reliance upon God. It is God, notice through the prayer, who is in heaven. It is God whose name is to be hallowed. It is God whose will and kingdom is to be done. It is God who gives and provides. It is God who forgives. It is God who strengthens us to forgive others. It is God who leads and is God who delivers. And so prayer must be focused on God and His desire for our life and not us. It begins by understanding of who I am talking to and who I am, and that only comes through the act of prayer. The word hallowed means to imply God's holiness. It's a portion of the prayer in which praying for God's name to be kept holy. And so when I'm praying, God, hallowed be your name, I am actually asking God, God, help me to live out a way so that people can see you are holy. I am asking God to reflect His holiness through my life. I'm asking God to help me to be an image-bearer of His glory and His holiness. I'm stating, God, I belong to You because You're my Father, and therefore I want to resemble who You are in my life. Hallowed be Your name. And so I begin in prayer, Our Father in Heaven, Hallowed be Your name, by understanding who He is and who I need to be. And then I move into a time of worship. Because once my mind and heart has gained a proper perspective in prayer, I can then turn my attention to verse 10, Your kingdom and your will be done. John Calvin wrote that anyone who stands before God to pray must abandon his own thoughts of glory. We begin by praying focused on God's holiness, and we pray for God's holiness to invade our life. The Bible says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification in 1 Thessalonians. Sanctification means to be set apart, meaning God's will for our life as His children is to set us apart from this sinful world, which means He wants to set us in His godliness. And so I pray for God's kingdom to come in my life and His rule to be over my life. So prayer begins with focusing on who God is and worshiping for who He is. And then we pray for God's kingdom, His justice, His righteousness, His holiness, His perfection to be within us. It is to pray, Lord, may Your Spirit that dwells inside of me be manifested out of me. Let people see You in me. To pray for our daily bread there in verse 11. is isn't to pray, God, please let me win the lottery. Or please don't let the car break down. Or Lord, please bring the electricity back on. I mean, you can pray for those things. God's fully aware of what's on our hearts. But when I pray for my daily bread, I'm asking God, give me what I need for this day. I'm praying, God, help me be obedient to the words that Jesus taught that I should not worry about tomorrow. But let me focus on what you're going to give me this day. Help me to have a heart to trust you in this moment. Give me my daily bread. And Jesus then says, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors in verse 12. He ties the forgiveness of God to our act of forgiving others. Karl Barth says when the pardon of God is received, meaning when we are saved and forgiven for all our sins, it enables us and empowers us to forgive others. Jesus implies that the action of God forgiving us is to lead to forgiving others in verse 14 through 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The idea is that when I can't forgive someone else, I have a very low view of God's forgiveness for myself. And I think we wrestle with that because we have a misunderstanding what forgiveness is. We throw out that phrase, forgive and forget. Now who in here can honestly say they've ever forgiven someone and forgotten it? You're more righteous than me, buddy. Short-term memory. We may say we've forgiven someone, but then that individual will do something again, or someone else will do something that's very similar to what someone has done to us in the past. And we become defensive. We don't tend to forgive and forget. We, we tend to forgive and recall. In the Bible, forgiveness does not mean forgiven, Forgetting. Because it is impossible with our sinful minds to forget. We carry the burdens sometimes. We carry the scars. When I forgive someone, this is what I'm doing. I am releasing that. I'm letting that go. Thank you what was her name in frozen thank you yeah some of y'all know <laughs> when i say i am forgiving someone i'm saying i'm no longer going to carry this in my life and i'm going to allow god to deal with it that doesn't mean i don't learn from it i don't go back into that i stay away from people who continually to do evil and sinful things But when I forgive, I'm saying I'm no longer going to allow something to hold me back from loving. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to release them, release that person from that, and I'm ultimately releasing myself from that. To not forgive is easy, but we have to realize in Scripture that an unforgiving heart will impact us far greater than any other person. When I carry unforgiveness, I allow my heart to become hardened and I allow my heart to become bitter. And so I think that's why Jesus places it here, because in verse 13, the next thing he says is, And lead us not into temptation. Which I think is odd, because James tells us that God does not tempt. So what in the world, why should we pray, lead us not into temptation, if we're already told in Scripture that God does not tempt us with evil? St. Augustine writes concerning us that this prayer is not that we should not be tempted, but that we should not be brought or led into temptation. It's the part of the prayer where we're saying, God, help me to follow your ways and stay away from the things that I know are sinful and evil. Do not let me go towards those things which you have already revealed to me that I should not be doing, but instead let me live according to your ways. Finally, it says to deliver us from evil. That deliverance is a reminder that in our prayers that we are in the midst of a battle. Deliverance means to snatch us from the jaws. When Cain had a murderous intention in his heart with his brother Abel, God came to Cain and said, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring roaring lion seeking someone to devour. In Revelation, we're told the enemy is set on war on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So when I come in prayer, I'm stating my reliance upon God because I know there's an enemy out there who's set on killing, stealing, and destroying me. And so I come to God, I am dependent, and I'm interdependent upon God. I am fully reliant on God to do what only He can do in my life. But notice, I'm also interdependent to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, the pronouns are our and us. I mean, that prayer, can, prayer cannot therefore in any way estrange us from people, but it can only unite us since it involves all of us and concerns all of us. Prayer is reliant upon God, and it's reliant upon our fellowship with one another this is prayer and it's not enough to preach on prayer if we don't actually pray so i want to give you a few tools that i've learned in my life that have helped me with my prayer life one and i know this is not a manly thing to confess but get a prayer journal get a journal that you can write in prayer requests and date those things and here's what happens when you do that my mom taught me this um and so I, I would typically have it in my quiet time notebook that we talked about a couple weeks ago. But I also have one in my phone. But what I'm able to do is I'm able to go through to remind these things that I'm lifting up to God because I have a connection with Him and I get to be intimate with Him and I'm relying upon Him to do these things. But I get to see how God has answered prayer. And I think a lot of times that's where we struggle, is seeing how God is answering. But I get to go through and I get to highlight and star and, and say, this is what God did in this moment. This is how God answered this prayer. And so keep a prayer journal. Another thing I'd like to challenge everyone to do this week, it's going to be a little bit warmer, I think. Put a time in your calendar, it's on your phone or your tablet, or wherever you keep your calendar, on your desk, I don't, I don't care, where you are going to get away with God with the intention of being intimate with Him. You're not going to take the phone. You're not going to take the, the, the pad or the computer. You can take your word, but you're going to set aside time. I'm going to go have a date with the God who loves me. And I may just be still in His presence. I may just have to be silent and hear His creation screaming His glory. But I'm going to take the time to focus on Him who loves me. I guarantee you these have been the most intimate times of prayer I've had. I've had them in church buildings. I've had them in parks. I've had them in, in little building, little classroom buildings. But I'm focused on God just listening to Him. I'm not going to prayer to start telling God about all the things going on in my life. I'm simply going to prayer to listen to what God has been wanting to say to me, but I've been too distracted to hear it. To set aside time to be intimate with Him. I guarantee you, you'll understand what the psalmist said when he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. When we make the time to be intimate with the God who wants to be intimate with us. But then don't just do this alone. Jesus' teaching is that we should get together with believers in prayer. Galatians chapter six, verse two says, "Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're to pray for one another and pray with one another. And we have this incredible privilege to be able to go before God together in prayer. Some of y'all are here this morning, and you may not realize it, but you've been on someone else's prayer list. And this morning, you might be an answer prayer. Some of y'all are here this morning, and you may pray in your life, but you do not have a relationship with God because you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He's been an idea, He's been someone else's, but you have not made that confession. So the Bible says that you are lost, and you are not God's child, so you cannot cry out to God as my Father, But God has brought you to this moment because someone's been praying for you in their life that that can change. The Bible reveals that God created every individual for a relationship with Him. We get to know God as He knows us. The problem is, is we all wrestle with sin. The Bible says all of us sin and the wage of sin is death. That means a separation from the God who loves us and knows us. And what we try to do is we try to do good things, which may be why you're here this morning. You may have something going on in your life, and your initial thought was, I need to get to church. And that's not a bad thought. But if I'm doing these things, prayer and going to church and reading my Bible, just to prove I'm a Christian or deserve salvation, I've got a wrong idea of salvation. Salvation is not what I can do for God or to earn God's love for me. God is love. He does nothing but love you. Salvation says, I understand that God did it completely for me through Jesus Christ once and for all. He died on the cross for my sins. He rose again that I could be forgiven. And so the Bible says, when I believe that in my heart and confess it with my mouth, I will be saved. And you may be here this morning and that's exactly what you need to do to begin a relationship with God and have a connection to Him. I'm going to invite you to come as Jackson comes up to lead us. The worship team coming with you. But you also may be here, and you may be a brother and sister in Christ like me, and at times you struggle with prayer. Maybe you need to come and kneel before the Father and ask His forgiveness that you've made prayer something that was never intended to be. And begin to on your prayer life and that relationship aspect with Him. You get to talk to God, and believe it or not, I think we forget this, God wants to talk to us in prayer. What a beautiful picture. This is time of invitation. I'm going to invite you to come. I'm going to invite you to kneel. Maybe you need to come and say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. Please tell me how to do that. I'm going to pray over us all. And Jackson and Bridger are going to lead us. We're going to stand. And if you need to come down, just step on out and come on down. Father, you are holy and you are righteous. You are the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Our provider, our judge, our shepherd. You are holy, holy, holy. Your name is above all names. You created the heavens and the earth, and you created our inmost being. Father, we we come before you. We are so unworthy. I am so unworthy to be an instrument of yours, to belong to you. But by your grace and your mercy, I'm allowed to stand in your presence. Father, forgive me when I have rushed in and out of prayer and I haven't just enjoyed the time. Forgive us. Lord, thank you for giving us this incredible access to you. Thank you that your word reveals you do answer, you do respond. Father, I pray in this moment that we would be obedient to your word, not just to be here, to be doers of what your spirit has laid upon our heart. I thank you that you have taught us, you've corrected us, you've rebuked us and trained us for righteousness so we may be equipped for every good work. In this time of invitation, this time of response, Lord, let your name be glorified. I pray that your kingdom and will would be done. Forgive us, Lord, if we've not been about that in this time. Lead us in your ways. We pray so in the name of Jesus. Let's stand and invite you.